Yeah, I, I did want to try a, a podcast conversation sometime. Well, yeah. I'm down. Okay. So, um, can you say your last name? Hi. Are you Polish? Are you Polish? <laughs> My stepfather was Polish, but I'm not. So I probably well, we we say Wilgus. Will Wilgus. Yeah, Wilgus, Wilgus, something like that. My old dead <clears throat> Polish relatives would say Wilgus. Wilgus. Okay. <laughs> See, that's how I that's how I thought it was pronounced. But then I think one time you said it. Uh. <laughs> you said it like the. The the more anglicized way, so yeah. Nobody, um, I don't think there's one surviving person in my family who pronounces it the old way. <clears throat> okay, well that that's too bad. But <laughs> but uh, anyway, so uh, I wanted to talk about what what it is that you do. Um. Like <clears throat> allergies are bugging me today. Yeah, uh, what I do for a living? Yeah. Well, so, I I don't know I, how I, much of it is like <clears throat> your your current living or stuff you've done in the past, but I'm I'm talking about like the audio mostly. Yeah. Um. Uh. Well, what do you want to know? <laughs> so, uh, how do you how do you uh you you have set up a mastering studio, and I think uh some. A lot of people probably don't even have a good idea what that is. I think I know mostly what it is, <clears throat> but is that uh, something you're doing uh, freelance now? Is that just a uh, part-time thing, or is that what you're doing for your to you're actually earning earning a living at that? Well, it's what <clears throat> God. I had a little cup of cocoa, and the chocolate's making me all phlegmy. <clears throat> oh. It's it's how I'm attempting to make my living. It's how I'm hoping to make my living completely in the very near future, but um, I mean it's it's part time now, not by choice. So so it's something you're you're ramping up as sort of a a, a home industry kind of thing, a home business or. Yeah, it needs to build. It needs to build on itself. I need to get more work. Uh, that that sort of thing, you know. I mean, I, I worked in the business for a really long time. I worked in, you know, a couple of really big studios with lots of cool gear and really expensive things and this and that. So the word's getting out there. Um, you know, I'm doing a mix right now for a guy actually, <clears throat> sort of this metal tune that he wrote. You're you're mixing it or you're mastering it? I'm mixing it. Cool. And I may master it, but I usually don't like to master things I mix. I'd like to get a second set of ears on them. Yeah, I, there's a. I think in the back of Tape Op, there's an ad that said mastering yourself. That's like taking that's like your going on a sister to the prom. Yeah, taking your sister to the prom, right? Yeah, I don't think I have that one. Oh yeah, I do, Brian Eno. Yeah, old one. Yeah. Is, oh, I guess it's September, November. It's not as old as I really thought. 2011. Yeah. But uh, I, I usually keep them by the toilet, and I I read them um, <laughs> I read them uh, I read them obsessively, incessantly, and religiously. They've actually published some of my letters to the editor in here too. <laughs> Have they? Yeah. I... Well, I know Larry a little bit, you know, and uh, I send him emails quite a bit harassing him, <clears throat> and um, uh, he did. You know, the end rant, which is the thing I read first, you know, on the inside back cover. Yeah. Um, he wrote one two years ago that was like tongue in cheek, very sarcastic, and it was 
like different rules that you have to follow to get the tape op seal of approval on your recordings. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, something like that. Actually, I have. Um, oh, you sent me a PDF or something like that. Yeah, yeah, I have the PDF. I mean, it was it, it was tongue in cheek, but you know what? I three quarters of them are, are rules I would live by if 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 if, if Congress codified them into law, I'd be okay with it. But I, I wrote a reply, tongue-in-cheek myself, you know, saying, you know, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Larry's, uh, I forgot what they called that column, but whatever the column was called, and I said, I said, someone, someone whose vocals need to be auto-tuned to death to sound okay is, is about as much a musician as uh, someone playing baseball on their Xbox and calling themselves an athlete. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I went on about that. And then I turned it more tongue in cheek. And I said, I don't know what you know about analog um, and analog tape decks, but I said, um, at the studio that I work, we, we align our tape deck, not to plus six, but to minus six. So, you know, people can hear the hits and that we're actually running analog. And then I said, and, and then just to finish it up and kind of let them know I was tongue in cheek. I said, and I was really disappointed uh, that your telegraph operator wasn't uh, in, in the office when I wanted to send this via Morse code. I had to re resort to the more modern email or something. <laughs> Fax machine. <laughs> yeah, and that, that got published. And then there was one a little before that that got published, too. <clears throat> I had fun writing that one, though. <laughs> that one made me laugh when I wrote it. It was funny. Um, I don't, I mean, I'm, I think we're about the same age, but uh, I have not... You know, I'm old enough to remember when I was doing uh, production for my high school, or not my high school, my college uh, radio station. Uh, I was, I became the production manager there, and I put together promos by chopping up pieces of reel-to-reel -reel tape and sticking them together. You know, yeah, so, I've I've razor blade edited quite a bit. Yeah, but I've never uh, done anything with, uh, you know, a real like. Um, studio recording deck like a you know super high quality i don't even know what how wide they are really but they're you know faster and wider than i'm used to i guess <laughs> well our, our machine is two inch analog and it runs at 30 inches per second yeah so th this this was uh i think this was a tiac and it was i don't know what it wasn't more than half an inch it was like it was a home I think what was home quality reel to reel at the time, so. But we'd get uh, we'd also get stuff, uh, like shows. Um, they'd ship us out reel to reel tapes, and the idea was you transcribed them onto carts, and then you'd send the tapes back. So we'd get um, like star dates or uh, kind of programs, and we'd put them on a bunch of carts for the week. And then, um, and then we'd have to ship them back the uh, the tape, and they would always have little cards in them that said "Don't rewind." You know, they'd want it tails out, uh, some certain uh, kind of arrangement for the tape. Well, so. the reason uh, that Led Zeppelin song um, you can hear the vocals before he actually sings them is because they didn't store that tape head tails out. <laughs> so it it, no. it like overprinted itself. Was that how what it does? Or? If you if you store it heads out, it prints through. It all, even tails out, it prints through. But with tails, it prints later, so it just sounds like a delay. 
So that would sound quite natural in a recording because they use delays in them all the time anyway. You know, but um, that Led Zeppelin recording was, um, uh, you know, way down inside, woman, you know, bam, bam, whatever that song is called. Whole Lot of Love. Whole Lot of Love, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they weren't recording at 30 inches per second, right? Um, which would make the print through, it would make the delay shorter. Yeah, because, right. Right? Uh, so they were recording at, you know, seven and a half inches per second or something back then, and they recorded it, they, they, they stored the tape, the heads out. So, you know, the delay is, is, you know, it's like a half second or a second, you know, between, you know, you can hear the print through and then the actual the actual vocal that plant plant thing but that's that's become sort of like i think people think they did that on purpose i always you know what i i've heard that song and listened to it closely on headphones and i guess i just assumed that that was like a that was through some kind of delay deliberate delay loop or something uh it's, it's print through <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious i did not know fact, that i I met um, I met what's his name, the engineer who worked that session uh, at a AES show in, in Manhattan, uh, Audio Engineering Society show. Um, uh, Eddie Kramer. Yeah. You know he works. He's only worked with guys like The Doors and Led Zeppelin and Jimi Hendrix, you know, guys like that. But anyway, he's uh, he's he. They threw him a party that I managed to wrangle a free ticket to, and. Um, um, he also was quite a bit of an avid amateur photographer, and they, they blew up to poster size all of these photos from the sessions, you know, of him hanging with Hendrix and stuff. It was pretty cool. Nice. And I, I was chatting with him, and all he wanted to do was talk about the Yankees. But um, <laughs> he's a British, British guy who's become a baseball fan. But um, anyway, it was fun to, you know, you go to these co conventions, and you can wrangle tickets to these cool parties and meet really cool people. Or not even cool people necessarily, but famous people anyway. Famous people, industry, industry, actual people that do the the work. Not. Well, I mean, real. I, come on, he worked with Jimi Hendrix. How many people get to say that? You know. I mean, right. And you know, I mean that that, that the 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 opportunity to to do that ended in '71. So. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's that's, that's kind of cool. Um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, back to mastering or whatever. Um, um, what you were going to ask what it was? or No, I, I I have a sense, well, at least I have some sense of what it was. I just wondered if you wanted to uh, say what it is for anyone who might wind up listening to this who uh, doesn't have a good idea. Are you recording this? Uh Oh, sorry. <laughs> I should have mentioned that. I have a call recorder on Skype that just starts up when a call starts. Um, oh, oh, okay. Oh, I didn't know you were going to record this for your podcast. I don't care. It's fine. Well, um, but I wasn't. I mean, I was going to wasn't going to like do anything with it without asking you. But oh, uh, no, it's fine. Um, but the I want to do a podcast with you where you record yourself locally and we Skype and I record myself locally oh. and then you send me a high quality you know, uh, flack it, you know, flack it up or, you know, compress it and send me the wave file or something. And then I'll edit it into a proper like podcast the way I used to deliver my bloodthirsty vegetarian. Podcast. Oh, sh oh, sure. We could do that in the future. In the future. Okay. But, I've done that with, uh, one of my, um, interviews with, uh, Sean Hurley. We did that. I put it together, you know, at, yeah, I had him, uh, isn't so, that the one you had to time compress the two-hour interview because it drifted? No, a little that was Joe, and that's I don't know what that was about. I don't know whether that was because his uh, 
his computer j- sound card just had a really bad clock or I know they I think they have a different power standard for one thing but it wasn't um it wasn't that far off but it was just enough like I think I wound up correcting it by like you know like some point oh point oh two percent or something like that it was but I had to figure out like I did it was funny because I like I said I can't I did the math you know the like the just how far they had drifted in milliseconds by the end of the recording and I'm like well I'll, yeah, I remember I remember like, you were talking about that I came up with this large fraction I'm like well I'll try that it was like one you know one point oh one one three five or something like that. And I didn't think it would was likely to work, but I put it in uh, Soundtrack uh, Pro, I guess, and just applied that time stretch, and it actually worked pretty well. Like. Uh, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Um, I think I would have just gone in and split the region and just dragged it every 15 minutes, dragged it a quarter second or something. But I tried that, but another problem was that there were a lot of... Uh, there were a lot of dropouts, so there were a lot of bits where his audio just like cut out too. So it, it was kind of a mess. Like I really, I spent several hours working on the, you know, scooting regions bit by bit over, and then got totally fed up with that, and finally just uh, tried the time stretch. So, yeah. but I was, I guess, I what what surprised me is that uh, the uh, that. Um, soundtrack pro let me put in a lot like a, a fraction like that instead of like rounding it to 101 or something like a lot of their you know tools a lot of those tools aren't really like uh they don't really work with float floating point numbers mm-hmm. yeah yeah so like if you go into um uh, iMovie or something like that and try and adjust the speed, you know, the, the built-in speeds it gives you are like, you know, 100%, 50%, you know, uh, 25. And, but you can put in other numbers, but it will, that thing will round it to, I think, uh, fra- you know, like uh, 0.1%. But Soundtrack Pro seemed to seem to be working and, you know, would would take the whole the whole fraction. So what what do you got? What are you drinking? Mm-hmm. Woodchuck hard cider. Woodchuck hard cider. That's pretty good stuff. I had a uh, one year. I'm sorry. I, I I don't have my camera on, and I think I can't really like add it halfway through the call. But um, I think what, you can. Can I? Let me see if it'll work. I'm running an ancient version of Skype on Linux and it'll let me do that, so I would expect you high-tech Mac guys to be able to do it. Oh, I don't know if it'll do that or not. Let me see. Uh, Well, it might degrade the audio. Um, Maybe. I've got a pretty good... I've got like like a 10 meg... Uh, connection, but I don't know where it's going all along the way. I don't see an option for like uh, doing that. When I say, let's see, uh, it's got there's some like obscure. Isn't there a pull down menu on? Your oh yeah, list? yeah. Never mind. Uh, let me try it. Video or something. Let me try it. Hang on. Oh, hey. now I'm a tiny little square. <laughs> I'll put it over there. Can I make myself bigger? 
<clears throat> Men have been asking themselves that for centuries. <laughs> there it is. All right, let's see. Oh, that's a terrible angle. There we go. I have this uh, this little camera. It's an EyeSight camera. Apple made them a few years ago. And uh, here, I'd like to um, I'd like to get a better video camera, but I can't find one. Like I can't find a webcam that's actually better. So mm. and um, mm. but this is a FireWire camera, and uh, oftentimes it's supposed to, I'm supposed to have enough bandwidth with like my uh, FireWire ensemble and the w webcam. It shouldn't use up all my FireWire bandwidth, but it seems to. And sometimes, like, it'll just start breaking up or not working, you know? So, I don't know. It's crazy. But, um... <clears throat> so, it's only been, like, uh, about two years since I first got uh, the beginnings of my studio gear and started to try teaching myself to mix songs, to mix uh, other people's songs, to mix my own songs. So that's it's a pretty new uh, thing for me. And I wouldn't claim to be anything more than like just a, a pretty rank beginner at it. But I have made some songs, uh, I have made some mixes that I think came out pretty well. At least I like them. So who's the kitty? Seymour. Seymour. Hello, Seymour. You can't hear you. I hear by the uh, Yeah, I, f I figured otherwise you tend you get the uh, the audio the feedback Feeding stuff back. going. Yeah. Well, it, it has yeah. this. It does this anti feedback, but then you can kind of hear it. Yeah, they claim to have written some code that'll help clean that up, but there's only so much you can do. Right, because they can't predict exactly what kind of space you're in and what kind of reflections you'll have. Right. That that's an yeah impossibility. Right. So I don't know. I'm so I'm I'm just a rank beginner there. But uh, the for that I the first stuff I did there was with um, a group called the Mandelbrot set on the Jonathan Colton forums. <laughs> Mandelbrot set. <laughs> where people were submitting uh, tracks to covers their own. Everyone would. Uh, record a track for a cover of a Jonathan Colton song, like who did Creepy Doll. Uh, and By the way, is, is he somebody I should know? Jonathan Colton? Yeah, I see you posting covers of his all the time and videos and stuff, and is he a pop star? I don't know. I've never heard of him. Who is he? He, he is a... Uh, well, He's he uh, actually is on the Billboard charts, or he was at least briefly on the Billboard... That explains why I've never heard of him. Well, this but this is a new thing. Uh, just very, very recently and very briefly, I think, on... It was like the Billboard Heat Seeker and Billboard, like, an indie... I don't know what... If, I don't know from Billboard charts, but um, he's an independent musician. He was a software engineer who... I actually quit his day job and started doing the project uh, thing a week where he recorded a um uh a new song a week wrote and recorded a new song a week for a year so he had 52 new tracks and he had been like he uh was a uh like a musician I think he was a music major in school but he was then working for as a software engineer for 
a number of years. But this was his hobby, and he wanted to turn his hobby into an actual career. And he did. He actually succeeded at that. And now he's like, um, he was touring with They Might Be Giants. And uh, I heard of them. John, uh, hmm. which John is it? Linnell is the keyboard, the skinny keyboard guy. And uh, who's the other giant? <laughs> the other John was pr actually produced his, his most recent album. So he's uh, he's uh, recorded quite a few songs now, a number of albums worth. He's toured. He's gr gotten gradually more popular and released an album now that I'm covering some songs from it. But his thing was Creative Commons. And so one of the reasons that I cover his songs is because I know, or at least uh, I'm pretty confident, that he's not going to sue me and that YouTube won't take them down. So I can either record, like, I can make a video for one of his songs legally, or I can record a cover, and as long as I'm not claiming to make money on it, you know. He also, like... uh his greatest hits album a few years ago, he, um, he released all the source tracks for all his mixes and he did everything himself, uh, at least for those albums, um, in his home studio, which was like a pro tools light or mini, whatever LE or whatnot setup, at which, um, and you know, I don't know which box he had, but it, you know, it wasn't, it was a pretty low budget setup. I think he had a, a G4, uh, Mac and then he upgraded at some point but so that was actually that was like the impetus so like you know what uh, a few years ago I tried to get more serious about playing guitar and and then started entering songwriting contests and um, I wanted to learn how to do what he did because I'm like you know what he's an a relatively ordinary nerd <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah. but, but I mean, he has more, uh, he has more actual training in music. You know, he was, a like sang with the, in the acapella group at, at Yale and whatnot. And what, he was a music major, but that's not, I don't think that's insurmountable. That's years of experience rather than decades. So, you know, so he, so he, uh, produces and he writes, records, produces his own stuff. And, uh, listening to it was really neat, especially listening to the tracks taken apart because you know you're listening to like uh him play banjo and he couldn't really play banjo you know at least i mean he he was a guitarist he learned how to play a bit of banjo and on his finished song it sounds amazing with mandolin and banjo but if you listen to the individual individual tracks he realized he didn't do that many takes he he got you know one clean playthrough of his banjo part and then looped it you know <laughs> for that backing so, but yeah, well, I, that's not uncommon. I don't even mean the looping stuff, but you know, when you get everything mixed together, a lot you know, of the flaws get hidden. Yeah, yeah, well, the flaws get hidden. It tends to jump. You start right. soloing tracks and listening to things. I mean, I mean, it's not it's not universally true. I mean, if if the Bella Fleck and the Fleck tones are recording, I'm pretty sure if you soloed their tracks, you're not going to hear any errors. Yes, you'd still be very impressed, right? Yeah, I mean, when when you're dealing with that level. But, I mean, me, you know, I could make a record. I mean, I, I don't consider myself much of a player, although I've been playing for 25 years. Um, 
So yeah, if I were to record a song, which I rarely do, by the way, um, I'd rather record other people. Um, yeah, you would hear lots of mistakes, but I, I, I can skillfully hide them in the mix. <laughs> yeah, well, that that was kind of inspiring, and that was neat to learn. There's a great example. Um, there's, um, which, was it While My Guitar Gently Weeps that Eric Clapton records a track with the Beatles? And just recently, I remember hearing, I think someone posted to YouTube or somewhere, uh, a video where you can hear the raw, his raw uh, track, his like un- unedited raw um, guitar I part. I remember something about that, yeah. And at listening to that, I'm like, wow, it's not perfect. And that was, uh, in a way, it sounds maybe stupid to say, but it was really liberating to hear Eric Clapton playing, badly is the wrong word, but uh, raw, you know, loose and raw. Yeah. And like hearing all these sort of, all the pick scrapes and, you know, a little bit of ringing strings and whatnot going, you know what? Suddenly being able to record a guitar part that sounds like, that sounds that good in the finished song seems actually approachable as opposed to like this just daunting thing where he's, you know, someone's like a a guitar god, you know? Well... To draw a parallel to something I recently got passionate about was the curling, the ice sport, which I know you and I chatted about one night briefly last year or a few months ago or something. Um, During the Olympics two years ago up in Vancouver, I watched the curling, and I was familiar with it, but I hadn't started yet. I started right after that. Um, The the Canadian team that won the gold medal was captained by a, a guy named Kevin Martin. And in the Olympics, he didn't miss. I mean, he just didn't miss. Not once. And I watched these guys going, oh, my freaking God. And I start curling, and, you know, I, I was playing five days a week. I had a lot of spare time. And I developed some, some ability pretty quickly, because as opposed to the casual club curler who plays once a week. And then I would go through 50 or 60 rocks on Sunday as practice. Anyway, long and short of it is this year I started watching a lot of curling on the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting and I'm watching events where these guys are missing shots. The same guys in the Olympics who just didn't miss. Well, the reason they didn't miss was because I only caught them at their best games. And now I'm watching the CBC and seeing these same guys missing shots by miles. And I'm, as a club curler, I'm thinking to myself, geez, I feel pretty good about my game right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because after watching the Olympics, I was like, why bother? I mean, it's sort of like why I don't play guitar much anymore. One of my favorite players is Steve Morse, and, you know, he's a technical genius, but he's also a really gifted songwriter, and he can write really cool music, and he can convey emotions with his instrument. He's not just like, you know, Eldon Yoda, where he plays furiously but can't write a song that's interesting. And, um, I, I mean, I, 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 I saw Steve Morse, and I went, why do I even play guitar anymore? <laughs> I'm never going to be that good, so I quit, and I, I hate to say it, but I, I, he played Syracuse, which is an hour from me. He played Syracuse a couple of falls ago, like October, like maybe last October, it was two years ago, or maybe it was the prior year, I forget. But he played, um, not Syracuse, he played Buffalo. So me and my buddy Jake, a guitar player in a band that I did a couple records with, we went to see him. And he did some signing after the show, and this is the third time I've met him, and he signed my CDs and stuff. But um, 
my friend Jake, uh, who's a big fan, said, you know, you're the reason I got into guitar. You're such an inspiration. You know, we bought his new CD. It wasn't out in stores yet, but he had some pre-release copies. Yeah. You know, and my friend Jake was like, you know, I, I love your playing. You're the reason I play guitar. And, and I, I can't tell Steve that story anymore because if I told him that story, he'd walk away crying. My story would be, you're the reason I don't play guitar. Oh. <laughs> Even though I love listening to your music and you haven't discouraged and you haven't taken away any of my passion for creating music. I just do it on the other side of the glass. You know, I get to push the buttons. But, um, but yeah, and I mean, I don't feel bad about it. I just, just don't play much anymore. I just, it's just not my thing. Yeah, but, um, yeah. but anyway, that, that's, my, that's my story of inspiration from Steve Morse. You're the reason I put the guitar. Uh, reverse inspiration, if you will. Well, but but mean, you still have a passion for music, so. Well, and I still have a passion. Yeah, I have a passion. Oh, my God. I'll, yeah, I mean, my friend Matt, one of my dear friends, once said, I need music like I need food, and, and that's pretty true. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, th- there's various things I'm that sort of uh, hardwired about uh music and and sound in general and also things like radio drama but then there's some saying by a famous i I don't know who the writer is uh some famous writer wrote once that whenever i get a little money i buy books and then if i have anything left over i buy food (laughs) and i'm kind of like that too with my uh, like voracious reading but, yeah, uh, I enjoy reading. Um, I don't do it as much as I used to. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, reading is something that I, I enjoy doing as well. Um, I miss, you know, I'm one of these old-school music buyer guys. I like actually having physical media, you know, with a picture on a box. Yeah. I, re- I really miss the 12-inch things. Oh, what yeah. All those? What, what <laughs> uh, I miss those big things with the big artwork. Yeah. Like, now, the idea of just buying something on iTunes and not having a, a, a tangible, substantial, physical object to hold before or while I'm listening to the music, reading the liner notes in the book, yeah, I mean, that's so foreign to me, you know. I, I so... guess I've become a, I've become a, I've become that get off my lawn guy when it comes to, uh, you know, music. I'm the old stodgy codger. No, I, I, I'm, I know what you mean. I mean, I. I don't miss, you know, having my records gradually kind of uh, decay from just the needle wear, you know, and having them become more and more crackly and oh, all that. Oh, I mean, when CDs came out, I mean, I'm not against uh, digital digital media. Yeah. Um, in the beginning, you know, CDs sounded like crap, but in subsequent years, I learned why. But, um, but... Nonetheless, I love not having to flip records over. Yeah, I mean, right. CDs are great. You put it in, and you can listen to up to in the beginning seventy-four minutes, but now eighty minutes worth of music. Right. And yeah. um, you know, with a, a vinyl record, at best you got maybe forty-five. And of course, the more the longer it is, and the sort of the lower, the quality. lower quality audio you've got. Yeah. yeah. yeah and the most you're going to get is forty-five, and then you have to flip it over. Yeah. And you know, you're still getting little clicks and pops. And, right. And, and, you know, but, um, yeah, well, on, on the other hand, on the you know flip side of that, I mean, there are albums that I've never heard as good as I heard them, you know, on relatively ordinary home stereo system on my headphones, you know, back then, which were uh, like just the yellow foam Sennheiser headphones, you know, I had a uh, um, Fidelity Mobile, um, you know, heavy-duty vinyl, half-speed mastered uh, 
copy of uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer's pictures at an exhibition. And mm -hmm. I used to listen to the crap out of that album. And still, th just the way that sounded, the the live performance, uh, the gnome with the guitar and voice, just this really poignant guitar and voice, even though there was clicks and pops and background noises. I've never heard it sound that good. Well, and, uh, but are you, is, is it one of those... Is it one of those you can never go home nostalgia experiences? Yeah, is it a nostalgic experience? I, I mean, I've never quite say... figured that out. Honestly, I've never quite figured that out. I do know that I bought just recently. I bought a double uh, REM compilation, their newest uh, like career spanning compilation or whatever, and I put it on and I listened to some tracks that I used to really like by them. And uh, these are now remasters of, of some of those tracks as they came out on CD. And some of them sound quite, you know, we have a, we, we just got an, a new uh, truck, like a, an SUV. It's not new, but um, it has, uh, it came with a really, what would have been at the time, like the highest end available Bose uh, stereo, whatnot, you know. Um, and I put those on, that on in the truck and they're driving along listening to that. And I've, I've loved really gotten a lot of enjoyment out of the sound system of this, of this, uh, SUV. And, uh, then like I listened to whatever version, whatever master version it is of radio free Europe and some of these other songs. And I was horrified, quite honestly, some stuff from, uh, and some, stuff later stuff from fables of the reconstruction which i remember you know loving on vinyl and seeing them live in seattle in 1984 you know but listening to some of these tracks they just sound awful they just well, sound there, god awful there, you know there could be a lot of things that work there it could just be an awful mastering engineer it could be some bad choices in mastering but um i joined this this discussion forum um uh, there's this guy who still does high-end tube amps, you know, along the lines of Macintosh Labs. Yeah. You know, and yeah. really, really expensive boutique tube stuff. And for the life of me, I can't remember the name of the company at the moment. But he's got this um, discussion forum attached to his website. And he was talking about, like, he created this post that caught my eye. And it said something like, I broke the code. And then the message said something about... Um, I finally figured out how to transfer vinyl to digital so that it sounds really good, just like the vinyl. And then he went on to talk about how he was passing the signal through $20,000 worth of his tube preamps and his tube amps. And <laughs> the, 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 the first recording is the, the Fly Like an Eagle, Steve Miller band off CD. And the second recording, he tells you which was which, so of course it's not double blind. Right. And the second one is the vinyl, my personal vinyl that I transferred to, you know, 24-bit, 96 kilohertz, uh, whatever format file, and that's going through all my equipment. Well, geez, what do you think the people are going to say which one they like better? Their Tube Heroes uh, recording where they know it went through $20,000 worth of tube <laughs> equipment or the CD? And I listened to them. I went up and downloaded the you could listen to them as like MP3s off the website, or you could download the wave. Yeah. So I went up into my studio, and I listened to the tracks over and over again, critical listen, 
I mean, I knew which ones were which. There was yeah. no way for me not to at that point. Right. I mean, I could have told by listening just because I could hear the clicks and the pops of the vinyl, even though he cleaned the, the record. Sure. But I listened really hard in my, my uh, AKG KT71s or whatever they are, really good headphones. Yeah. And I listened on my ribbon near fields, which are really, really good. Did you make the, I'm sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but I, I saw, I was looking again at the picture of your little mastering studio and I did not recognize your monitors and I was wondering if you made them. <laughs> SLS S8Rs. Okay. They looked like, um, I, they looked like, uh, who makes, oh, I forgot. I don't know much about ribbons. You're talking about uh, Adam, the other. Adam, right. Company. Yes. But I didn't recognize him, so I was wondering if you like well, took drivers from an atom or something and made put them in different enclosures or something. I, I don't like the atoms. I I got an AES show and uh, Adam let me after the show closed. I was with a company that was um, um, uh, exhibiting at, at AES. I used to work for a company that made high end audio cabling and stuff, so we yeah. would go to trade shows yeah. and. Um, uh, Adam let me into their, their private listening booth with some of the CDs that I mixed and some other favorites of mine, and I listened. I spent a half hour listening to their stuff, and then I went into the SOS booth. Um, I think they're, they got absorbed by a different company now. Yeah. But, um, um, and I listened to the SLS S8Rs, which I'll send you a link. Mine are black. These are the wood grain ones, but um, okay. mine are black. Um, shit. This is, uh, that's my monitor. Okay. Right. Um, the SLS S8R. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that, yeah, that looks right. <laughs> All right. Yeah, mine are the black epoxy, what they call their Nevermar finish. Yeah. Um, but anyway, SLS, not only did I happen to prefer the way they sounded, they also happened to be uh, a, one of, uh, uh, we were one of their vendors. They used to buy wire from us to wire their speakers. I see. And I knew their marketing rep and a lot of their people pretty good, so I called them up one day and they said, "Oh yeah, we'll sell you a pair direct. We'll mean we'll take twenty percent off wholesale." <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. And I went, "Okay, here's my credit card," and they shipped them right to the, the the loading dock where I worked. I brought them home, and they were up at my the analog, not my analog studio, but the analog studio where I worked. But when I built my little mastering suite, which looks considerably different now than the the picture that I initially sent when I was building it. Um, when I when I opened that, I, I stole them back. <laughs> when I cool. brought them home with a Hafler reference amp, and um, but anyway, yeah, they're really good. They're really accurate. And the, the, but to get where I was going with the story, I listened really really hard for about twenty minutes to all of these recordings he had made, and. <laughs> I don't care how many uh, thousands of dollars of, you know, the tubes are warming it up. You know, they're adding uh, even harmonics. They're compressing it a little, making it louder. Yeah. But I can still hear that high-end distortion that a needle simply can't reproduce high frequencies without distorting it dramatically. You know what I mean? It's, yeah, just, it's, a, mechanical, yeah. it's a mechanical process. Right. And it's just not accurate enough to, to, to reproduce really high frequencies without massive amounts of distortion. And I just told the guys, I said, well, without a double-blind test, first of all, you know, I really had to rain on their parade. Without a double-blind test, you know, your, your, your comparison here is, isn't worth shit. And then I even broke them the worst news, which said, I'll take the CD mastering all day long, you know? Yeah, yeah. But, well, I, uh, I guess anyway. my objection to um, what I was hearing on the REM track was largely that... Um, 
a lot of delicate instruments like a dobro part or something was as loud as a fucking kick drum you know oh, that okay. that everything was just really loud and it, it was like i mean I, I was practically unable to hear the difference between like rem playing and metallica you know i and rem well, it sounds like they just over compressed it and they made everything really loud they didn't leave any dynamics in it maybe you know yeah that's i think that's part of it but I don't know what all was wrong. I mean, I've also heard people say that when they re released uh, the um, Murmur on, on CD, they never did properly, like, undo the vinyl EQ. For the vinyl mastering? Yeah. The, you know, the, you have to use this, like, RIAA EQ curve to... Uh, to... Oh, well, that would be dramatic. If they didn't... If they if they made a CD with the RIAA EQ curve for vinyl, it, it would, would sound. It, no, that's not even possible. It would not. It would have like no bass to it at all. Yeah, it would just yeah. be. You know, it would just be. Yeah. It would just it, it, the RIAA curve is literally a straight line right, between, right. between twenty hertz and twenty kilohertz, and at twenty hertz. They they chop off twenty dB, yeah, and and then every every tenth of an octave or whatever they raise the dB. It's a perfectly straight line. Um, the the and then and then at one k it's 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 even, and then at twenty k it's higher by ten dB or something like yeah. that. It's very dramatic. But, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that didn't it's, quite sound right. I wasn't I wasn't quite convinced by that argument because I'm like you know, uh, what I'm what I might be convinced of is that they uh. They like the when it was mastered for vinyl, they sh kind of sh uh, put like shelving at the high and low. Well, well, yeah. When you're when you're mastering to vinyl, you're still doing EQ to the mix. Yeah. You know, the mastering engineer might be doing his art, if you will, and um, EQing the mix to his liking or the way he thinks it's going to sound better on vinyl. <clears throat> and it's, I mean, it's possible that 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 those EQ choices he made could have made it to the CD, but again, in this, in this modern age, I mean, you know, with the, with, you know, the, the guys who were remastering REM are guys like Bob Ludwig, you know, the number one guy in the world, right. and that's just not a mistake he's going to make, I mean, no, he doesn't I, I, make... It wasn't him, but um, I, don't, I don't know who it was, but all I know is that, to my ear, which again, you know, I'm not terribly trained, and I may be just you know, biased in the direction of how it sounded when I was young, you know, but I, but I just really didn't like the way it sounded. It was, it was yeah. really kind of horrified. And I well, do I, want, I do want to get, um, apparently there is a, uh, um, like a master disc, uh, gold CD version of, of murmur that you can get where they remastered it, you know, from the, from the two track master, um, so and I'm told that that's better. It's not so uh, so smashed, you know. So yeah. So, so I'd like well, to hear that know, one. That's a big discussion, you know. That's everywhere right now, right? The loudness wars. Usually, it's with more intense, heavier kinds of Har rock. Yeah, harder rock. Well, it's I'm, I'm I'm not opposed to processing music. Like there's a a Dead Mouse album that that I've been listening to recently where uh it's you know it's dance music and in a lot of it they really he, uh, he i guess it's one guy in his studio but he he really really heavily uses that sort of uh pumping kick drum you know where like the 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 kick drum pumps the i don't know if this is i guess it's called side chain compression where like 
the mm-hmm. the kick drum drives the whole compressor so that you hear the whole mix basically sag in order to give some space to the kick drum so you can still always feel that you know big bass big bass kick either that or he's just not using multi-band compression and, and he's just getting breathing and pumping because he's an amateur <laughs> I mean, well no it's i mean it's it's pretty clearly deliberate i mean and and you they do that for like club tracks you know so that so that the kick so that the their 15 inch drivers you know have some energy left to to continue you can have it really loud and still have a, a real big beat you know a big kick that drum. would drive me mad by the way really? that, would be something <laughs> I could, that would give me a headache and that would be something i i mean the pumping and breathing not the loud kick they don't like that the- would- well, I'm pretty sure it's. I'm pretty sure that's deliberate. I've read about you know how to do that as a technique on in a dance music mix. But uh, well, I've done some house music. Um, in you... fact, my fusion really talented um, fusion guitar player friend Jeremy Shaw. Um, I told you about that summer music festival that I've been putting on for the past two years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Him, me, him, and his mom are kind of the executive producers of that. Well, he wrote a song called House Music actually, and it's 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 house music and um you know i managed to get the bass pretty something without having to do that but well i don't know i'm just i'm i'm just saying i i i'm not i just say this by way of saying i'm not opposed to like heavy compression and heavy processing and music i mean if it sounds cool it sounds cool but if it sounds like strange and and you know and you know just i don't know just uh really chews on my ears in a bad way then <laughs> i don't like it but um, yeah well I, I can appreciate that yeah and some of their later stuff too i mean i i, I have should say like i pretty much lost interest in rem around the time they released uh green you know but um i did listen occasionally would dip into their stuff but so so this double cd anthology is like the first i had heard of some of their songs from the last say 15 years <laughs> and you would think that that um you know like in in 2005 rem has enough money they can hire really good producers they can record really well they can do you know and, and you wouldn't expect to to their tracks to be grating and just you know sound poor i, I don't know what was going on with some of this stuff but um Maybe I'm just getting old. Maybe my ears are just failing. Grace is telling me that I'm gradually going deaf anyway, which is, you know, maybe tragic, but it happens to people. <laughs> so, I don't know. How are your ears doing? You're not a. You're not twenty. Well, you know, I can still hear twenty thousand hertz. Can you? Okay. Yeah. Um. I mean, and I. I look. I. I was a lighting guy and a sound guy on the road for a heavy metal band. It's not like I haven't been exposed to ridiculously loud music but for some reason uh, my ears have managed to stay pretty sharp um i i the last aes show i had them tested and i was pretty flat 20 to 20k and um i'd like to get them tested again because there are some frequencies i feel like i'm not hearing as well yeah. i have a few friends who like when they talk to me Particularly, like, say there's a drone sound in the background, like a television or a crowd murmur or something. Yeah. I have a friend who talked to me, and I just can't freaking hear him. What? Can you speak what? And I don't know if their voice is just fitting into that murmur frequency range, so they're getting blocked out, yeah. you know? No, I think there's something to that, because I think that's, 
something happens when you get older, it, your ability to distinguish sounds. Like you may, it, it may be that your hearing per se is fine, but like your ability to separate sounds from like the, mm. the audio field kind of gets, because I know now when I'm like uh, uh, listening, trying to have a conversation with Grace over the noise of the kids, you know, even if they're not being particularly loud, even if they're just chatting or babbling or, you know, singing or whatever, uh, I have more and more trouble with it. And I don't know. I, my grandfather lost his hearing, but I think that was partly because he worked in a bottling factory, you know, with a lot of heavy duty machinery. That damaged his hearing. I, I worked in a factory once for a while. I was um, I was in need of work, and because I'm an electronics guy and, a, and, a, and an electrician, um, uh, we used to have a local company that made buses. You know, like city buses, like you would public transportation buses, and they needed a DC line electrician. So I got hired, and I'm suddenly I'm wiring buses, which is fine. It paid okay. Uh, it's a little, you know, a little too blue collary for me, and I had to get up really early. But you know, <laughs> music industry guys don't like to get up at 5 a.m. But um, yeah, uh, but you know, because it was a, a a place where they do metal fabrication, you know, there was lots of you know grinders and stuff. So right. I wore screen protection all day. I just never took it off. You know. Uh, yeah, that makes sense. But I think my ears are pretty good. I can't, you know. Well, you know, it's funny because when I'm listening to a mix. I can distinguish and separate sounds quite easily. Yeah. If I'm just listening to the tambourine, I can really concentrate on that. But man, I had this one friend, uh, and it tends to be with female voices more often than not. You know, we'll be um, sitting wherever, having a chat. At, we go to the, we have this local indie movie house that I go to on Friday night sometime, and then we go out for coffee afterwards or maybe a glass of wine. and at these various places, she'll be talking to me, and I just don't know if she needs to speak up, or... Well, some people... hearing is notched exactly in the mid-range frequency that she's speaking at. I don't know. Yeah, well, some people also do just uh, tend to murmur, you know, or, or they they never, like, learned how to uh, articulate clearly and, you know, speak from the diaphragm, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm kind of loud. People tell me I'm loud, so I, don't, I never had any problem with that. People tell me lots of things. <laughs> I'm well, rambunctious. I need to shut the hell up. I'm cocky. You know, I get, I get all kinds of crap thrown at me. But I've never been accused of being loud, but I, I, I can, uh, if you gave me like a, a a speech to read and said, I want you to get up and address this room full of people. I, I could do it loudly enough for them to hear me, but I'm not, you know, uh, I don't have a, a loud, you know, in your face personality at all. Yeah. Mo I, you know, mostly you, the opposite. You said, you said you were surprised after listening to a little snippets of bloodthirsty vegetarians, my, my former podcast, you said you were surprised at the way I sounded or acted or something. I, I don't know. I didn't mean. I hope you didn't take that no, as, no, no, as not an insult. At all. I'm, I'm interested to know what you thought. Um, your uh, your voice in print is is very very dry and cynical. And I would say oh, yeah. I would say. Um, and again, don't take this as a. No. I don't. I don't actually mean it as an insult. In print, you come off as almost autistic. Almost. Well, I, I am on the Asperger spectrum. Are so. you? Are you? Okay. 
Well, you yeah. you're not very far on it. If uh, you know, and I yeah, I'm, I am I'm too slick. Okay. But I have great deals of trouble in some social situations, and I'm really bad at reading body language. Well, sure. And okay. I'm really hypersensitive to flashes of light. I, I mean, they've never caused a seizure, uh, yeah. seizure or anything. Well, that's good. But I, I, I didn't figure out until my 30s that the reason I hated electrical storms wasn't because of the loud booms, was because of the bright flashes of light. Really? Yeah, I mean, you know how, like, you're lying in bed and you want to go to sleep and your eyelids are closed, but, you know, your eyelids are are slightly translucent and you can see, you know, if somebody turns on the light in the bedroom, but when you're awake but your eyes are closed, you're aware that the light is on because, you know, your your eyelids are opaque slightly, right? So Yeah, yeah. So I'll be lying in bed in July, you know, in thunderstorm season, you know, and it's hot and humid out, and I'll be trying to go to bed and I'll see the flash of light and it's like somebody hit me in the head. I mean, uh, it, it's just like, I just, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I just, there, it's like I got punched in the head. Yeah. It, it's, it's wicked uncomfortable, incredibly overwhelming, and I just hate it. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is that uh, given the way you, you write and sort of your dry sense of humor, I would have expected yeah. your speaking voice and your affect in your spoken word to be much sort of, uh, much sort of uh, flatter, you know? Well, yeah, I mean, my writing, everybody writes differently than they speak, right? Sure. I mean, when, when we write, we write in the Queen's English and, sure. and, and we don't split infinitives. And, and this, but, when, but when I'm talking to groups of people, my, the manner in which I speak will change, you know, depending on who I'm speaking to, you know? Sure, um, when, I'm, sure. when I was doing my podcast, I tried to speak the Queen's English and John and I tried to present ourselves as, we tried to fool people into, you know, thinking we were smart and R- stuff. Respectable people. <laughs> right. While yeah. we were gorging a bottle of wine and getting hammered on each right, show. Right. But, right. Um, um, you know, but, like, when I write, I, I, I tend to be ruthlessly logical. And, um, but even in real life, you know, people hate me because I tend to overstress logic. And, and, and I, I have a habit of um, belaboring points sometimes right. in real right. life that drives people mad. And, you know, uh, my friends who know me kind of get my sense of humor and the laugh at the things that I say. But like at the curling club, you know, it's a social sport. When you're done with the game, you, you sit down at a table and you drink and you tell stories. And, you know, my jokes and stories kind of go over like a lead balloon because, you know, <laughs> people don't get my droll, dry British sense of humor. And, right. You know, I mean, I make the Brits seem, you know, not droll and dry, you know. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, when I'm, I, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing a podcast, particularly when I was doing my podcast, um, I'm putting on a performance too, you know, I'm, I'm, sure. I'm a little more upbeat in front of the mic and, you know, I'm sitting across the table from John, one of my best friends in the world, even though we're not speaking at the moment. Um, <laughs> and, and he and I, uh, after three years, we're still not speaking. Oh, and, um, he bad. and I have, you know, he, he's one of my oldest living friends. And there's nothing that he doesn't know about me, and there's very little, I don't, you know, we don't know about each other. And we're in his basement, or we're in my home studio after I built it, and, you know, it's, it was just fun. It was therapy, doing yeah. that. And it's very easy, yeah. you know. I, however, I don't know if I could go up in front of a crowd and deliver a speech or anything like that. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, 
I, I'm somewhere on the spectrum myself. I don't have a diagnosis, but um, my son... Oh, yeah, I, I haven't officially been diagnosed either. My son does. I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but two years ago, a friend of mine who is officially diagnosed started telling me, and then, and then suddenly on Facebook, all of these, like, if you do this, you might be ASPE, you yeah. know, stuff came out. And then I started reading these books by a guy named John Elder Robeson. Uh-huh. Um, he wrote that book called Look Me in the Eye, which is about his Asperger's story. And it's a great read, by the way, and I recommend it. Right. And then I started reading these things, and, geez, if I'm not on the spectrum, right. I mean, and then I encouraged my, my, my best friends to read it. And I said to my friend Donna, who actually, you know, has a degree in psychology, and um, so she has some background in this kind of thing. And after she read the book, I said, what about me, if anything, reminds you of the guy in the book? And she said, everything. <laughs> And oh, by the way, he got into music. One yeah, of his yeah. Was music. He designed the quad stereo PA system for Pink Floyd. Yeah, yeah. He used, you know, he designed Ace Frehley's flaming guitars and kits. And I, I haven't. Story. I haven't read his book, but I, I I know the the basics of you know. I I think that's people who have those traits. They when they listen to music. They don't just listen to music. They're listening to everything. Yeah, on a different level, on a different plane. You know, they're. And I don't mean that to be arrogant, but like, I when I when I realized how powerful music was in, in terms of mood changing for me, and everybody would say music is a powerful mood changer for them. Yeah. I still don't think neurotypical people, as he calls them, right, um, right, nipicals, nipicals. He shortened it to nipicals. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think neurotypical people really connect with music the way someone with Asperger's or 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 uh, the full blown um, autistic thing. You know, they, I don't think they connect. We got different neural nets going, and yeah, it's and not... I think it's what makes me a good producer. If I'm a good yeah. producer at all, yeah. and I'm an audio engineer. It's because somebody asked me if, if I could be neurotypical, would I want to go back? And I think the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, there are there are trade-offs. You know, when I was young, that the, like looking people in the eye thing, that's always been very difficult for me. It's basically like if I'm having a conversation with someone, if they expect me to, to hold eye contact with them, I have to stop talking because... Um, yeah. Because like not, I've gotten better at it, but like eye contact with someone is so uh, s- somehow overstimulating or distracting that I can no, I lose m- my train of thought. I can no longer think of what I'm saying. You know, I've trained myself to look people in the eye. Yeah, like, yeah. One of those, one of those. If you do this, you may have Asperger's things. Was if right. you walk around staring at the ground, you know. Right, right. And when I was in junior high, all I did was stare at the ground. Yeah, and, exactly. But now I can make eye contact all day long. In fact, I do it to the point where I make other people uncomfortable because I never look away. It tends to be, yeah, it tends to be one or the other. Yeah. Right. I'm yeah. either aloof because I'm not looking them in the eye and I'm not talking to them or I'm making such intimate eye contact that they think I'm creepy. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. No, I know, I know exactly what you mean. I, th- I mean, I think that is a good portion of, you know, why I got beat up in grade school because people, if you don't make eye contact, uh, people think, uh, kids think that you're aloof, that, that you think they're better than they are. And maybe you, you do, but you know, but that, that behavior difference is enough to get you like your, to get your ass kicked, you know? Yeah. I mean, I had a couple of bullies who used to pick on me in school. I was the smart guy. 
but I also had the growing pains, you know. I, I grew freakishly big by the time I was in third grade, you know. And even though I was bigger than them, you know, I, I couldn't, I was on, because I grew so quickly, uh, what's that word? Um, proprioceptively, I, I, I didn't know where my limbs were. You're tri tripping over your own feet. All, yeah, yeah, so I didn't, I didn't figure out where my body was until late, late into my teens. Yeah. So, I mean, even though I was bigger than them, they could still take advantage of me because if I tried to run away, I would trip on my feet. <laughs> and if I tried to hit them, I would hit myself and... You know, things like that. Our kids are uh, super tall. Well, most of them. Uh, like, um, How tall are you? I'm 5'10". I'm like perfectly average height for a male. Uh, Grace is 5'3 or something, like perfectly average height for a woman. Um, I'm 6'3". Yeah. Our, our, uh, Isaac is 6'3", and he's. I think he's stopped growing, though. And he's 17. Your son? Yeah. Oh, you have a seventeen-year-old. Yeah, well, oh, he, I didn't know you had him that old. Okay, he's he's actually my stepson. So I, Grace ah. had had him before we we met, mm -hmm. but then the oldest uh, one, the next oldest one is uh, seven now, and she's she is also extremely tall for her age. Like mm -hmm. she's, uh, we've been marking her off on like a door frame downstairs. Uh, now that we have a house. Uh, the first of every year, we're starting a new thing where we we mark a little mark their growth. So and she she's really tall, like she's she's almost five feet tall, and she's seven years old. Wow! Yeah. But the there's a downside to that, which is that um, people will expect her to behave like a twelve year old, or a, at least a ten year old. Right, and, right, and you know, development-wise, she's only seven, and then not only that, but you know, kids who are brighter have issues of different kinds. Their different skills may appear at different ages. Like they may be really slow to develop certain skills versus certain other skills. Well, I think that you know we're all individuals, right? I mean, yeah. we all develop at different rates and with different skill sets, and we have gifts, and there are areas where I'm not gifted, or uh, we're not gifted, uh, or me. Yeah. Did you ever try the uh, their uh, pear version? The, the the cider? Yeah. No, the only um, I actually only drank my first bottle of hard cider within the last few months because the curling club started. Um, carrying it on tap quite by coincidence because it's gluten-free, of course, and I'm, oh, cool. I'm, I'm a celiac. Yeah. So um, once they started carrying the, the, the cider on tap, I was thrilled because I can't tell you how many times after a curling game, if you lose, the winning team has to buy you drinks. That's the tradition in curling. Yeah. So it's, it doesn't hurt as bad to lose. And I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, you know, they said, what kind of beer are you drinking? And I said, I can't have beer. And then they just, then yeah. they're afraid to talk to me because they think I'm a recovering alcoholic or something. No, unfortunately. I, I don't drink as opposed to I can't have beer because. You know? Yeah. However, I've, this is not cider. This is gluten-free beer. This is barred gluten-free oh, beer. Oh, really? I, I didn't even know there was such a thing. So, I, cause I know because I just looked into this because, um, Someone on Reddit was saying that uh, that Scotch whiskey, sadly, uh, despite the distillation, it really depends on how sensitive you are to it. But you shouldn't. Well, they might add a little caramel coloring, right? Well, that, but also just 
depending on how sensitive you are, some of the, the gluten and gluten-related chemicals may still be there after distilling. So like malt whiskey may not be uh, considered gluten-free, depending on your definition, depending on how touchy you are to it, you know? Yeah, I, I'm. I was never a whiskey guy anyway, but I, I, I am willing to try it. I mean, I, you know, if I know that the contamination is literally microscopic, I mean, I'm not going to eat a piece of chocolate cake at yeah. somebody's cake party. Yeah. But I mean, if it's a distilled whiskey, right. a whiskey is distilled, I would certainly be willing to try a, try a shot of that. Sure. You know, it, 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 if it's two parts per million, you know, I right. probably get. I probably get that if I breathe through my mouth when I'm walking down the flower aisle. <laughs> it, it could be, yes. I don't know what the I don't know what how sensitive it is, or but some some people may have a, a severe uh, severe sensitivity to gluten. I don't know. We the, I I can eat gluten, but um, we we tried this because uh, it was recommended. Um, to us to to try this with my youngest or not my youngest he's not my third youngest with sam sam's the one who has the diagnosis of autism and and uh we were told that gluten might be a a factor in that and it does seem to make him worse it seems really? to make him be the gluten or the not gluten gluten seems to yeah. set, set off some bad behavior patterns in him so well, sex or uh, casein as well you know dairy stuff yeah that was also recommended we haven't noticed it so much with dairy so but i don't know it's i asked about the pear cider because one year we had uh the woodchuck pear in the store and we got a few bottles of it and grace and i just loved it thought it was fantastic oh. Oh, okay. You asked me about the pear. The pear. I haven't had the pear. But then but we, but I then we went it's... back. We went back to get more of it a few weeks later, and it was a little different. And we found out that some bottlings of it, they use only pear juice, like that's in season, and that they can get in bulk. And then, like, if that runs dry or they can't get it at a good price, they'll use pear flavoring and corn syrup. Oh, uh, that's surprising. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the I, the only one I have had so far is the the amber, which is the normal stuff. Yeah, it's really good. And it turns out it turns out like a lot of beer companies they do make a seasonal one for the four seasons. And I did get a six pack of the winter, which is a little more sour. It's a little more apple sour. Yeah. Um, a little less sweet. There's and a, a, a little drier, if you will. You know. They've got like a Granny Smith version too. Is that? Have you have you had that one? I don't know if it. No, I've just had the winter and the amber. They may not. Uh, it like the bottlings they sell in different states and different markets may you know might be different. I don't know. But the the pear when 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 we could get it, this pear that was just made of one hundred percent pear juice was just fantastic. It was. Well, really I have good. to look for it because I like pears. In fact, the house where I live right now, this this house. Yeah. Uh, I have a great pear tree in the backyard. The house I live in is something I, I rent from my cousin. Oh, okay. I've got a gigantic yard. It's awesome. I live in a really quiet, old, Polish, low-crime-free part of town. I'm a mile from all the places I shop. It's I'm three miles from the curling club, which is my winter thing. And uh, convenient when I want to ride my bike. I don't have to go far to be in the country and not get run over by assholes and cars. It's, That's great. I rather like my neighborhood. The windows are a little old and leaky. 
Yeah. Well, but it's been a warm winter, so yeah. We last year I plasticked up like all our upstairs windows and most of our downstairs windows. Is it is that you got a plastic sheet on there? Yeah. Yep. That's, um, it didn't seem to make. I it sounds cr crazy, but it didn't seem to make enough of a difference to be worth all the all the effort. But uh, it is a lot of effort. But yeah. and I can assure you, in my house, huge difference. Yeah. <laughs> I think it may not have made a huge difference just because there's so many other drafts in the house already. I don't well, know for sure. I mean, the room I'm in now has two outside walls and four windows, right? See, I've got the cupola in the yeah. front there behind yeah. my TV. I've got the, the, the three-window cupola, and then I've got this window behind me here. Yeah. And they're all old windows, very old, you know, old double hungs with the triple track storm windows on the outside, which are leaky and don't seal anymore. Yeah, yeah. And my bedroom upstairs has three windows and two outside walls. And in the in the really cold winter months, like now, except for the fact that it was 50 degrees out today. Right. Um, no, it's been crazy. Move, it's been crazy. Normally, here. I move into my studio in January and February because that's only that's got one outside wall and two windows, which are actually the best windows in the house. Yeah. And it's always five degrees warmer in my studio. Yeah. But it's been such a warm winter um, uh, that my heating bill is going to be dramatically lower. I mean, there's no snow here. There's no there's no, no snow. No, we don't, we don't have. We don't have any either. It's it's dramatically different than last year. Apparently, the last two years, I was reading up on this um, Gulfstream shift. Or, I'm not Gulfstream. <laughs> That's water. Jetstream shift. Gulfstream is affecting weather too. So yeah, yeah. But um, the Jetstream shift, apparently for the last two years, last two winters, it was really low. Like it came down over the U.S. And that's why you had like this dramatic uh, shots in the, on, on like the weather programs that showed like every state covered in snow at the same time, which was freakish, <laughs> which was freakish. Well, we live in the snow belt of New York. We're east of Lake Ontario and east of Lake Erie. Yeah. And because of the way um, we we get what's called lake effect snow. Yeah, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania, so I'm familiar with the effect. <laughs> you know, it'll snow for four days and you'll get five feet. Like yeah. every few years, you'll get that crazy storm. Yeah, yeah. And it's just endless. And yeah. last year, by this time, I'm pretty sure we had 40, 45 inches on the ground. Yep. You know, yeah. and this year, um, this year we had a very wet summer though, so I don't think our water tables are low because it never stopped raining in the summer. But this winter, it's like there's there's just nothing, and I mean, so either there's just something odd with the, you know, there's one of these weird airstream shifts like you're talking about, or we've just fucked up our planet and it's starting to get real bad. Well, well, that's that's um, probably the reason for the shift. So like the last two winters the jet stream kind of warped down and got stuck for a long time in this position where the, most of the U.S. was covered with Arctic air. And then right now, so far for like all of December, it was stuck further, much further north. So we had pretty tropical air across the U.S. And then like the actual Arctic air was stuck way, way up north. But I don't know whether that's going to stay. But the fact that it that that dramatic shift, like that was literally the most dramatic they had ever measured the jet stream being in that direction, you know, the most dramatic change ever recorded. Yeah, this is, this is 
freakish this winter. I mean, in January when I was a kid, yeah. we would get that week of below zero yeah. where yeah. during the day maybe it got up to five, yeah. and at night it was 20 below for a week. And I think last year we had one day where we got to minus 11 at, at, at one night and then never again. And, you know, I mean, there's a part of me that hates winter and goes, this is really cool because it helps my heating bills. Right. And I have to freeze my, my gonaticals off. Right. But I also know we fucked up the planet probably irreparably, so I feel awful being happy about it, you know? Well, yeah, there are, you know, people who say, well, you know, isn't that a good thing? Well, like, will it be a good thing when um, no one can farm? You know, well, when Manhattan is underwater. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, when, uh, like, even now in, in January, if you walk around the neighborhood, you see a lot of trees are flowering. Yeah, um, I read about a lot star of flowers. Starting to bud and flower. And like, okay, so, you know, that's not, let's say that happened once. And, you know, you had a, and then it froze hard and, you know, killed the buds and whatnot. Well, that doesn't necessarily, that won't necessarily kill the tree if it happens once, but that starts to happen every winter, kills the trees off before too long. And then, you know, if we don't get snow during the winter, that's all the, you know, water table for the spring and summer and, and, and well, the that, runoff. And that's crazy. I love these climate change deniers, and you know you can watch any of these debates that have been going on yeah. um, with all of these freakoids. Um, I won't name names, but you know what I'm saying. All these climate deniers. You know, I have a friend who's a huge uh, climate um, consultant, uh -huh. really high up in the in the food chain of of the climate scene. He goes to all the conferences all around the world. He's literally been to 10 Downing Street to meet with the British environmental minister. I mean, he's, he's you know, for a guy that I went to high school with, he's high up in the, the world, you know, climate, you know, food chain. Yeah. And he's, he's currently looking for a job because his old job was great, but he just traveled too much, you know. Yeah. He was on three weeks every two months to the Far East. Well, you know, and he, he just wants to be home. You know, his parents aren't getting any younger. And, Sure. He doesn't be on the road all the time, so he's looking for jobs. And he sees um, a company in Langley, Virginia, advertising for climate consultants. And, of course, I'm talking about the CIA, right? Yeah. The CIA is taking climate very seriously because yeah. the CIA likes to predict change in the world. Right. So they can help U.S. foreign policy, you know. If there's going to be a weather issue, we're going to need to know which country to invade to grow our crops there, you know. No, so, like at, at every practical level the government knows what's happening and is trying to prepare for it. Like even reports by the U S army about how climate change will affect our, you know, defense efforts and what the CIA is USDA too, you know, giving farmers advice on how to deal with right, climate right. change. But what I'm saying is if the CIA is, is taking it seriously, they're putting billions into studying climate change and hiring PhD climate guys, and how can these idiot candidates possibly go on stage and deny climate change? Well, they need to go take a tour of Langley and talk to the talk to the intelligence people because they're taking it pretty seriously. It's really hard to know. I wish uh, you know I don't have a good sense for how just to what extent, but possibly you know all that that's really just pandering to the people that they need to vote for them. Well, yeah. of course. It's 
Of course it is. I don't know whether or not they actually believe it. Of course, they, they say a lot of things, right? Yeah, but, yeah. But I think some of them do believe it. You know, there's a couple of those candidates, most of whom are out of the race now, who are particularly dumb, I think. And you know, I think they do believe some of the stuff they're saying. I don't know. It, it, you know, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. It's it's a pretty weird election season. It's a it's pretty de, pretty demoralizing, quite honestly. You know. Well, the the I'm I'm upset that Bachman and Kane got out. I mean. You know, there's no way in. I've got just as good a chance of getting the Republican nomination as they do, so they really present no threat. But there's such good comic relief that I'm sad they're gone. Yeah, it's well, I, people can make a, a lot of material out of them. Like, uh, do you? I don't know if you listen to any comedy podcasts like David Feldman show and stuff like that. He he had a ball with with Kane, and Kane and playing Kane's wife and mistresses <laughs> and all that i don't know it's funny funny or die you know that will ferrell comedy website yeah they did a great spoof of how herman kane came up with his 999 economic policy yeah uh, and they said it's it's uh he got the idea for the 999 economic policy the time he tried to hit on a german woman <laughs> <laughs> And I thought that was genius. Nine, nine, nine. Yeah. I don't know. It is. I, I don't know what to say about it. I'm just really. I'm very despondent about the uh, the elections. And um... well, I'll tell you what. I actually think I'm a pretty good political analyst. But then again, I was the guy who, um, in 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 my my podcast back in 2006 and 2007, said I I, I publicly said. Many times when John and I would venture into political discussion, I don't think there's any way in hell the United States electorate's going to vote for a woman or a black man. Um, so I, I was proven wrong, but in defense of myself, um, we also had the worst economic crash in 70 years yeah. <laughs> prior to the election. So, you know, I still think the electorate is pretty racist and horrifyingly, you know, sexist. So I still stand behind my statements, and I think things may have been a little different if um, we didn't have the, the the economic crisis, but who knows? I don't think there's any uh, substantive reason uh, that the uh, the GOP base keeps sort of fighting Romney, other yeah, than he's gonna be he's gonna be the guy. So let's just move on, pick him, and then you know. But the the only like. You know, just by playing off all these other people, like the I think really it boils down to that evangelicals. I think they may be able to stomach a Catholic at this point in 2012. You know, but I don't think there's any chance in hell they could stomach a Mormon, and that's basically what it comes down to. That's their their that's 90 percent of their resistance because on policy and on, you know, he's he's really no. There's there's not a lot of space between him and all the all the wannabes. I, I yeah, he's not he's not quite as crazy as, as some of them, but um, but again, you know, it's going to be him. He's the most quote electable, so he's the most presidential. So I mean, he's going to lose, I suspect. But uh, then again, I shouldn't say that because we could have something else strange happen and make me a liar. But that that could be what's happening to me, which is. All the people who semi-reluctantly voted for Obama, um, 
just can't be bothered to again after they're sort of so fed up with his lack of uh, progressive credentials, you know? <laughs> well, for me, it has nothing to do with his color. It has everything to do with the lack of his progressive credentials. I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, I, the, the best thing I saw written on, about Obama during the health care debate of two summers ago already, Yeah. it was, um, and, and it might have been right after that, somebody said something like, the Democrats negotiate. What's the one after negotiate? What's the word I'm looking for? Where you um, uh, you give a little, I give a little. Uh, compromise. Yeah, the, the Democrats compromise right up into the point where they capitulate. That was my favorite quote that I saw as somebody's signature file on some forum. You know. Yeah, yeah. You really didn't stand up for anything in the beginning. I think my friend Matt and I, who talk about politics extensively. You know, we both agree on this, and we said, you know, the first battle he chose to fight was his health care battle, and I don't think he knew the learning curve yeah. of the Capitol Hill yet, and, you well, know. That, that's what happened to Hillary Care, was she didn't, she wasn't ready to face that whole, uh, you know, environment. Yeah, and he didn't, he needed to learn more about the Capitol and the Hill before he, you know, fought that battle, and, um you know, it, it wasn't anywhere near what somebody like you and I would want or I, what he would say even he wanted. But, yeah. but at the end of the day, as my friend Phil from Boston says, they're all bought and paid for by corporate interests, too, right. even they're, though Boston took a lot of, you know, he takes a lot of corporate yeah, there's Honestly, there's not a lot of difference between the field of, of uh, corporate donors that pay for the Democrats versus pay for the Republicans. You know, they all get financial sector money, it, you know, the Bush administration, it was mostly oil industry money. Obama administration, it's mostly financial service money. So it's, I, I don't know, I'm particularly kind of angry about it because I feel like I was somehow uh, conned into uh, like an affirmative action vote, you know? I didn't vote for Obama, actually. I, I'm a Green. I strictly vote across the Green Party. Yeah. I decided... Um, I decided um, years ago that I refused to be taken hostage by the two-party system. Oh, that's um, good. Grace, Grace started, does that. Grace does that. She always votes for, for a, a third or or fifth or ninth or twenty-ninth party candidate, even if she has to write in a friend of hers. You know. So. Yeah, and and I got written into our mayor mayoral race twenty years ago. By the way, but that's a different story. <laughs> cool. um, but see, I mean. I got to the point where I got tired of hearing this. I got tired of hearing the phrase, but this is the most important election, election of, our, of our lifetime. or whatever. Even yeah. if you yeah. hate Clinton, you can't let Bush in. You can't, right. you can't. And that, as far as I'm concerned, is being taken hostage by the two-party system. Yeah. And I think you need to be rid of the two parties. I would prefer a parliament, you know, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. a little more democratic. A coalition government, honestly. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, and, you know... I mean, I could talk about this forever. I mean, again, I, I'm very passionate about politics, and yeah. Um, but um, but anyway, yeah, yeah, we're rambling. <laughs> well, yeah, uh, uh, we talked about a lot of shit. Is it all going to make the show or not? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'll listen back and see. Uh, I, I generally don't edit a whole lot. You know, I will like if I want to drop in music or something like that. But yeah, I uh, edited. Um, I never edited Bloodthirsty Vegetarians much. Um, you know, every once in a while I would do this to John. I would hold up my finger like one minute and, yeah. I, would, and I would edit out the sneeze, you know. Yeah. Now, I, some of this, some of the, 
things when I was talking with Grace or sometimes usually the things I would edit would be the podcast where I was just uh, recording myself because I would have a tendency to ramble on to something. Uh, God, when I get really depressed, I would last winter, I would carry my recorder with me and I'd go get, I'd go shopping somewhere and I carried my recorder around the store and like get back home and realized I had an hour and a half of me talking to myself about rechargeable batteries, you know, <laughs> or something like <laughs> just well, something ridiculous. Well, to a rechargeable battery lobbyist or something. In a, in a monotone, you know. <laughs> John, John and I generally went for 45-minute shows. That was our goal. Yeah, that would, that would make more sense. We, if, we, I, if I actually had anything resembling an actual plan and an actual strategy to make the show uh interesting enough to listen to that would make sense <laughs> you know i was going for professional production with bloody veg i i yeah. had music which is my friend jeremy's song hyperbole yeah and and i cut it into a little bit of an outro kind of a thing and you know i spent a lot of time searching the web for independent artists that i really really like their music yeah and i got permission to play it and um it was know, it was very professional i mean i haven't listened to that many of them i listened to a few and it was very professional have 174 of them so, yeah. so, you know that's a daunting task and you know what for a lot of people now or for anybody now they might not even be that interesting to listen to because our topics were always very topical very topical right? yeah yeah you know yeah. Our, for one of our first shows was about katrina 2005 august you know yeah uh, that we started podcasting in june and we didn't we weren't up to the once a week schedule yet we were sort of every two weeks in the beginning because we were still working it into our lives you know we were figuring out how to right. he lives in syracuse an hour away so we had to meet in the middle or meet at my place or meet at his place. So we, we always had these logistics to overcome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, one of our first shows was Katrina, you know, and I mean, there's, you know, a lot of people, you know, or the political scene or the news of the, the week, something that, you know, that everybody at the time knew what we were talking about. But today the context, you know, would be a little skewed. So yeah. I'm not even sure how, how our podcast would hold up in terms of right. time. I mean, I thought the show was good. I thought we were entertaining and funny. And, you know, we used to get a lot of good feedback. And I, I, my goal was to make it the best-sounding podcast in the world. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, that it's, was my goal. <laughs> it sounds very good. It sounds very, very uh, professional, I'd say. So. Oh, I did release two new podcasts um, in the spring of 2011, by the way, like April. Uh, uh, um, I was going through this box of CDRs that I had, and I, you know, half of them weren't labeled, but half of them were. And I, I unearthed these two CDs of uh, recordings we had made with sort of this acquaintance of ours from Arizona. Yeah, sort of I, listen, I listened to one of those, yeah. Yeah. She was sort of this gun-toting libertarian culture uh, woman. And, yeah, um, politically, it was a bit of a strange mix. <laughs> it was kind but, of funny, but, though. You know, she loved our podcast. She yeah. Didn't know it was a uh, but she thought we were funny. She, you know, she appreciated the fact that we we carefully selected our music. Yeah. And she she did a podcast at the time too. It's called Potty Talk. P o d d y Talk. Get it? Uh, yeah. And um, um. So what we did was we had a big Skype fest one Sunday or Saturday. You know, I went over to John's house. We soundproofed the. You know, we used to have to soundproof the studio. He John's a 
he does the stained glass, you know, where you solder it together with the lead and everything. Wow. So we turned his glass studio into our podcasting studio. So anyway, we had this Skype fest one day where Kirsten, the woman who ran this, this pod, potty talk podcast, wanted to interview me. Not both of us. She wanted to interview me. Because she found it interesting as a progressive that I actually was interested in guns and things like that. Because, yeah. you know, everybody on the right thinks that all liberals hate guns and want them banned and all that. And I actually find weapons interesting. I have a small knife collection. And, you know, I used to fence. So bladed weapons are very interesting to me. Um, so anyway, so basically we did an interview with her. And then the same day, you know, she did an interview with me, but her Skype recorder failed on her end. Yeah. So what I did was I just used my recorder to record the interview, and then I burned CDs and sent them to her, and then she could have edited that into a show. Well, she never edited edited it. Edited it. Edited it. She never edited it into a show, and I must have burned myself a couple copies of the raw tracks. Yeah. So I unearthed them, you know, literally like a year and a half ago. And I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to go through here and edit it into a podcast. And I asked her permission, hey, even though, you know, it was my recordings, but I said, hey, you know, I emailed her and said, would you care if I use these as sort of canned bloodthirsty vegetarians material? And she said, no, do it. So I ended up actually not even doing a lot of editing. Yeah. I took out some crap that was just wordy and endless. But um, and you don't hear John much. Every once in a while, John would tell me to turn up the pot on his his fader on the mic on the mixer, and uh, he would say something. But he and I were sitting there drinking wine. I mean, I think by the end of that show, by the end of that evening, we had finished three bottles of wine. I was <laughs> really nice. hammered by the time you know we did the segment where she interviewed me. Well, you didn't. And, you didn't sound very hammered. You sounded uh, maybe slightly, slightly. Well, I edited out some of the areas where I said things that certainly weren't politically correct. Yeah. I did edit out some stuff that would have made me look bad. But uh, uh, I definitely lost some some verbal inhibitions at one point, and uh, I, I said some things that uh, I certainly wouldn't say in public or mixed company. That's but. Uh, I took them out. But anyway, yeah, so I ended up having enough material for two shows, and they were kind of fun. And she listened to them, and she emailed me and said, hey, they were kind of fun. And uh, it's been two and a half. It'll be three years in, in not June, I guess. I still don't know what we fought about. And, I mean, I may have then, but I don't remember now because I'm getting old. Yeah. But he's on, he's on to some new ventures. He's a coder. He's, he's developing games for the iOS. Oh, cool! Well, and uh, you know the evil Apple platform, and well, he, well, if he got in at the right time, you know that can he, that might be good for him. You know, maybe well, he, he could... wrote a game. He and his partner wrote a game called Attraction, like A T T R A X X I O N. It's uh, it's a it's a game. It's got kind of Disney meets steampunk kind of graphics. John's a really oh. great graphics designer. Um, his real passion in life is. Is is art? He's an artist. Cool, but it's hard to make a living doing that. So he does little side projects. You know, he designed all my business cards, and he likes doing logos. And I got to tell you, he's the, the the. I can tell John the way I want it to feel. I want it to, you know. I told I wanted business cards for my business, um, and I asked him to design me something, and I said I want it to have. Um, an Art Deco vibe, 
And um, I don't even remember what else I told him. Please tell me I have one in my wallet. I don't have one in my wallet. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going up to my, uh, my second level here. Here's my studio. Your your frame rates uh, become pretty poor, so it's hard for me to see what's going on. But there's one of my near fields. I can't tell if you can see it. Not uh, vaguely. It's well. Anyway, my cards aren't in my studio, but the newest addition to my studio is the studio couch. Ah, oh, very very nice. Ascent Every studio needs a couch. It's an essential piece of uh, audio reflection absorption material, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, uh, I'm going into my bedroom, the room that I would have abandoned if it were actually below zero out, but it's not, so. Yeah, we're, we keep the house now, this year, last winter we kept it at 55, which was just too damn cold. This winter we're trying 63. 63, that's where I keep mine. Yeah. A, it seems, 63 seems to be just about the sweet spot, like you're not miserable. With a you know, if you have a couple layers and some heavy socks, you're not miserable. You're like your nose doesn't run and your fingers don't get achy from, from the cold. But, and then what we're doing now is like when we go to bed, we put a a space heater set on its lowest setting, like one bar of heat, you know, in the in the room, and and uh, shut the door most of the way, and that seems to to be enough. So. Um, saving so us hundreds and hundreds of dollars a month. Yeah, possibly. Here's the here's the card. My friend John. Anomalous. That's awesome. Very Anomalous Productions, and it says my it's what I am. It says producer, audio engineer, chief knob twister, general mayhem. Knob twister. <laughs> That's funny. Very and, you know, nicely done. It's very. Uh, I like the uh, the sort of tint. The tinted back, back, uh, background thing. That's cool. Well, the, and I had these offset printed. I just didn't have these done by, you know, Vistaprint or one of those online yeah, yeah. places. I had a friend locally who ran a, an offset print shop. And, um, you know, we searched long and hard for really thick paper because I like, I want it to feel quality. Right, know? right. Yeah, good. And then we actually had cards for the podcast, by the way, too. Cool. Did he? He must have done that long ago. Yeah, our web. It used to match the gra the graphics of the website. It was black yeah. and red. Yeah. And, um, so these were our cards. And I keep a few round for posterity. Yeah, and you're probably not gonna give away two thousand cards in some time. Maybe. Not not anymore. Yeah. You know, we were we were gonna go to some podcasting conventions. I mean, we had big plans. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just didn't happen. I mean, I communicate with him in email every once in a while, and he still maintains the website on his server. And he was paying for the hosting. We kind of did a trade-off. You know, I bought a bunch of gear to do this. Um, even though I was a recording guy, I bought a lot of cool new stuff just for the podcast. And well, of it, course. And you, need an ex you always need an excuse to buy that thing you've been wanting to get. <laughs> that's right. And he was paying for the hosting on... Um, uh, I forget the name of it. It's a, it's a hosting provider that was just mainly their business model was built around podcasts. 
you know, they knew that most podcasts were only going to put, you know, people were going to download them 100 times a week at most. Right. But then there would be a few popular ones that had 50,000 downloads. So they built a very inexpensive business model around the fact that most people's podcasts weren't going to be downloaded much, so they didn't need a lot of bandwidth. Right. And um, um, uh, so we, you know, but he stopped paying that. He told me he was going to stop paying that. So I moved all of our stuff over to archive.org. Uh-huh. So it's all hosted on Archive now, and we actually have a web page there, but the blog, instead of pointing to this old provider, now provides directly to the files at um, Archive. Cool. I put my, apparently I'm doing it the hard way, <laughs> but when I see people whose podcast feeds and whatnot have gotten so badly screwed up by some of these services, I kind of am happy that I do it the hard way. By the hard way, I mean, you know, I maintain FTP site on, on our host. On, 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 uh, it's a, a server at DreamHost, but it's uh, under the potshouse.org. And then I edit my own XML files by hand for every episode, which is kind of a pain and kind of error prone. But again, I have like total control of exactly what's in there. So. Yeah, and and I, I, you know, maybe this is ego, but I didn't want the Bloodthirsty Vegetarians podcast to disappear either, you know? Yeah, yeah. And in fact, um, I have them all backed up on CD and whatnot, but yeah. Um, yeah. Um, the day that I, I decided I was going to start transferring them to, um, to archive, I downloaded them all onto a USB stick right here, and... Um, this way I didn't have to keep loading my CD, you know, doing it one file at a time. Right. So I just subscribe. I unsubscribed and then resubscribed to my podcast with one of my podcatchers. Yeah. And then I just downloaded them all, dumped them onto this 8 gig. They actually all fit on 8 gigs, barely. It's amazing, isn't it, how, like, you know, I, I don't know what an 8 gig costs now, but there you can get them for fairly cheap. But I think this is... This one actually was free. I had a coupon that... Yeah. Uh, someplace and uh if you bought 30 bucks or whatever you get this thing for free so it ended up being free right yeah this is an eight an eight gig stick and it's you know it, it's fairly ridiculous to burn cdrs anymore you know yeah i mean i have you know those those um those plastic rubbermaid crate yeah um i actually have an individual CD for every episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarian. 174 ups. Yeah, yeah. No, that, well, that's it's more than that. It's more than that because I actually have two CDs, right? Yeah. I have. I put the raw file unedited right. uh, onto a CD, and that you know, it, I, 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 I would record stereo, direct to stereo. I actually edited up until recently. I edited every BV in a destructive editor, a destructive stereo two-track editor. That was it. Uh huh. I used Soundforge. Um, yeah. And uh, so I, I had one CD of the raw files, and then after I edited it, separate, and then I would rip the MP3. Edited. I burned a backup of the wave edit, and yeah. then I dumped the the MP3 file on there too. So there's actually two CDs for every episode, and yeah. it literally fills up this this Rubbermaid crate, and I, I'm having trouble throwing them away, even though I can fit them all on this USB. Right, right. Crate, you know? yeah. No, I don't blame you, but it's it's attachment to them. I don't blame you, but yeah, they don't. Also, CDRs don't last forever, you know. So. No, they won't. 
I'll, I'll get rid of them bad. eventually. No. But I put a lot of effort into that because I was the guy who did all the editing. Yeah. You know, Don yeah. and I would get done with the podcast. If we were recording at his house, I had to drive an hour home, and then I had to edit it, you know? Yep. No, it's uh, it's a lot of work. I mean, I, I, I you know, I know it's a lot of work because even, even though some of them I don't edit very much, um, you know, even just uh, just producing, just going through the tagging and all the processing. You know, I'm I'm just shy of a hundred episodes of of uh, my general purpose podcast, but yeah, it's a lot of work. It's yeah, and I took it really seriously. I wanted it to sound like a radio show. You know, yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, we had intro and outro music, and it was even a while when we were fooling around with sound effects. The one thing we never did, I, we wanted to do an episode from the bridge of the, the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> and I bought the CD of all the sound effects music from the original Star Trek series. Yeah. And there's like four minutes of bridge sound. So what I was going to do was just loop it and um, have that kind of in the background, low enough to yeah. hear, but not obtrusive. And we were going to do an episode for the bridge of the Enterprise, but we Going never like... Got- Oh, wee, no. wee, 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 boing, 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 bing, bing. <laughs> yeah, noises and, you know, every once in a while we'd have thrown in the, you know, yeah. door noises and, you know, somebody might have come in and talked to us. Hailing frequencies still open, Captain. Yeah, all that stuff. Cool. But, uh, uh, but anyway, listen, it's getting late. Yeah, I, mean, I, I should like, I should.